the red flag flying here. And welcome, pop pickers, to the 90th edition. 90th edition of um, Political Unmuted. Um, just as a, a little thing, um, everybody was discussing, um, because we take it in turns to have a week off, the team takes it in turns to have a week off, and um, they were discussing, and, and so the Paul's got a poly thumb, and, and, <laughs> and no skin on his hip, and everybody's saying, oh, Paul, oh, oh dearie, oh, Paul, 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 Paul. So Paul's having a week off this week, but... Just round the corner <laughs> on Laura. There's Paul. <laughs> Still overseeing all the textile. <laughs> he can't get away. God bless him. Anyway, uh, maybe Paul will be able to get away at some time. Welcome to the rest of the team. Hi, hi Laura. Hello. You're down as Paul, by the way. Um, hi, Stuart. Hello. God bless you, Stuart, uh, Mr. Wonderful Wisdom. And Jane, hi! Hello. Jane is quite the... being amazing this week. The <laughs> nicest person you ever met. And um, just before we set up, I am so depressed this week. Um, I am so angry, but I am just in despair. It's like that song by Peter Gabriel, Lord, here comes the blood. Has it just not all erupted at the same time? The sh burning the grouse moors, we're pulling out of the Human Rights Act, the European one. We've just passed a law to allow us to break our international agreements. Ukraine is going awful. Labour's announced that it's going to try and <laughs> to change Brexit. I mean, it's just awful news. So thank goodness that we have all these, these three wonderful people to explain to us what's going on. And welcome to you on, uh, all joining me on our um, comments page. Please make your comments and I'll try and pick them up. Um, but as not normal, let's start with... And a round of applause to Laura for pressing the right button. Well done, well done, well done. Getting excited there. Um, let's start with uh, Laura. Moment of the week for you, Laura. Um, well, I now think I might have to change it to successfully pressing buttons. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> my moment of the week has to be the fact that um, our good colleague, friend, comrade, Samantha Townsend, got long-listed um, for her um, bid to be the parliamentary candidate for her hometown of Bishop Auckland. She absolutely deserves it. She's unbelievable. She works too hard. Um, and I think there was the, the long-listing kind of is always that step that sort of terrifies everybody if you because it's kind of out of your hands somebody else decides your fate thankfully the powers that be decided what we all already know that Samantha's amazing and she should definitely be on the long list so congratulations Samantha um all the best with the rest of the selection process it's going to be long it'll be well it'll it'll be quick but I'm sure it'll feel long I think it's only like it's a, the whole thing's a five-week process um so yeah just all the best to Samantha um and well done the people of Bishop Auckland for having somebody like Samantha make sure you get voting for her because she's just awesome thank you um 
I always uh, like it when um, listeners post their moment of the week. Neil Terry's moment of the week was going to the Big Red Picnic at the UK's last Clarion House. Explain, Neil. What's a Clarion House? Why is it important? What's last about it? Anyway, I'm glad you had a nice time. Congratulations to Sam as well. Stuart, moment of the week. Mine hasn't taken place yet, uh, but... As a member of Unite and particularly United Community, tomorrow I'll get the chance to meet my general secretary, Sharon Graham, which is a, a big deal. Uh, she's she's been uh, winning, doing doing some winning, hasn't she? And you know, uh, supporting the workers, and it's going to be a, an absolute pleasure to to speak to her about Unite uh, Community and what we do and what the future is for us and our branches. Sorry, Stuart, but um, it's a great honour for Ms Graham to meet you, not the other way around. Um, the answer to Mark and Jacqueline is both yes. If uh, Sam becomes the candidate, she'll be up against Diana Davidson, and, and that is the reason why she dropped off um, uh, Political Unmuted to um, uh, secure her political future and hopefully become an MP, that would just be lovely. Um, Paul Daly has posted his moment of the week. You just can't get rid of him, can you, really? <laughs> my, mine is learning, he says, I probably won't need an operation on his thumb. Well, that is great news, and having a week off. Um, finally, um, Jane, moment of your week. So this is really cheeky and I didn't ask you in advance, but I, can I have two? Because there's two really big things, if I'm quick. Whatever you want. Paul yeah. does it. Just take it <laughs> away. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. So I saw a few days ago um, in Disability News Service, John Pring um, put out an article. Some academics from universities of Liverpool, Kent and Oxford released um, a study that linked 600 suicides in the three years, I think from 2010 to 2013, to the work capability assessments. They were caused by the work capability assessments, what people were put through. 600 people, I think it was 592 killed themselves and i'm sorry i should have said there's a trigger warning there i'm so sorry um but so that's 600 lives 600 families and their friends destroyed i can't even begin to imagine the, the time the desperation the horrors those people went through and how many more people have been pushed nearly to the brink um the dup have done nothing about it um, and they can't tell us whether the rate's gone down now because they haven't actually bothered to collect the relevant data to be able to tell and they've not enabled researchers to be able to access the data to access it and um oh, really really angry about that but then today hang on jay two seconds before you go first of all um getting the words is so difficult and either these are the wrong words i apologize to everybody but um Male, young male suicide is a major issue and, 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 and a sign of our broken Britain, a sign of our uncaring Britain. Secondly, Jane, um, people are having difficulty hearing you. Can you adjust your uh, microphone so far? It's a bit close to your mouth. Um, Jacqueline Hemmings' moment of the week was the terrible news about Crispin Fintiff. I'm not quite sure that Crispin regards it as terrible news, but um, if he, he's, he's running um, a show tomorrow lunchtime, um, he's having a party to um, uh, mark his expulsion from the Labour Party. And um, 
uh, sort of, you may want to, um, I may be wrong, you may be devastated, um, but you'll be able to find all about it then. What was your second moment of the week, Jane? So today I realised that from today, um, the um, Gypsy Romney um, Traveller community, their way of life is illegal in this country now because of the legislation that went through today. So Tell me again, Jane, what's illegal? Their way of life, um, because of the legislation that came into play today, um, I think it was Mickey Walsh, um, and we knew this was coming with the, you know, the legislation the Tories have put through, but today's the day um, people can just have their homes and possessions confiscated, they're not allowed to live um, the way that they're living in this country, so, and that was just too big, they were both too big not to say, so I have to say them oh, both. Oh yes, these things are absolutely vital, and so often these things are missed. Thank you so much. Um, so you, you, you're with me. It's an awful, awful week um, in Tory-run Britain. They have to go. We got, whether or not putting the Labour in will make it any better, I, uh, I don't know. But the Tories have got to go. Anyway, now, what I'm going to do, I'm crank up to the next say it section. I give Laura the time to get her finger on, on the button. And we... Now it's time for the big story. Brilliant, Laura. <laughs> um, Mick Hills reminds us that there are things to um, uplift our spirits. Thank you, Mick. God bless you. Um, and I think we're just about to talk about that now. The big story, of course, is the rail strike and whether we felt it was a success or a failure. So, it's the same question, really, to all three members of the um, the team. Let's start with Jane. Um, success or failure? Um, well, I hope it's going to be a success. Um, it's, it seems like to me like it's been successful so far because it's galvanised a lot of public support despite an incredibly hostile media and establishment, which is quite something, I think. I mean, do you feel that? Um, uh, uh, Mick Hills mentions Mick Lynch. I mean, do you think that Mick Lynch won the PR battle? I did. I think it was, I don't know if people saw Matt Green put out a comedy video um, of an interview and I thought this was some silly parody and then I saw the real interview with Kay Burley and it, it genuinely was nearly word for word. It was ridiculous. She just kept on, you know, trying to put words into his mouth you know he kept on trying to insinuate that the strike was violent and he kept on turning around at the most peaceful group of people you could imagine going this is it you know and then she started to talk about the miners and you you know is it going to be like the miners strike and I thought I don't know are you saying the RMT are going to be the victims of police brutality I don't think that was what she was saying but, you know, it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing. And he was amazing to keep his cool and be so dignified. I mean, the, there's a lot of um, humour uh, on social media. And the, and the um, Dead Ringers had a, a, a sketch of Grant Chaps cowering in fear <laughs> under the desk because Mick Lynch was in the studio. And, and, and there's a wonderful joke. Why will they never name a street after Mick Lynch? Because no one will ever dare cross it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, nice. Just wonderful. Um, it, it sort of, I mean, there's various claims being made for it, Jane. Um, 
that it's the death of the great ex conservative experiment, that it's the death of the privatization God. I mean, do you, do you, do you see it as being so significant? Or, or, or um, I mean, the, is the jury out on these things? Or is it just about the, the, the rail strikers situation? It's, it's the biggest, I think, industrial action in 30 years, is it? Um, and it's 40,000 people involved. What, they, what they're planning to do, what they're fighting against, you know, it, it will cost lives if they're not successful, cutting back on 34% of essential maintenance, 2,500 maintenance jobs on the railway. That can only lead to accidents. You know, unstaffed stations, letting go of the station staff, control room staff. I don't remember the last time I caught a train and thought there's far too many staff around here. I mean, you're lucky if you can see anyone the way they've already petered down the numbers. Um, and then when you hear that the rolling stock companies paid out dividends of a billion pounds in 2020 to 21, which is the equivalent of half of all ticket sales or nearly a quarter of the government assistance that the industry gets. And that for some reason, they've decided to go for the workers who are facing, you know, spiraling utility bills, rent costs and cost of food um, after having no pay rise for several years. And all they're, all they're asking is to not lose their jobs entirely and to actually be allowed to afford to live. Thank you. Have you noticed, listener, that Jane tends to do this, that you think, oh, she's finished talking. And then ask her one question and suddenly, wham, in she comes. That was a brilliant answer, Jane. Thank you so very much indeed. Um, Laura, success or failure, do you think? Are you along with Jane or are you more measured? <laughs> Am I more measured? <laughs> um, honestly, I think it's it's been... A massive, massive success in that it has highlighted a lot to the British public. Um, I noticed that Leanne's posted in the chat that we have to be careful about making it about one man, and I would absolutely agree. However, I think Mick Lynch's approach and his just the, the realism that he brings with everything he says, and he's not trying to play political games, and he's just being honest about workers is exactly the kind of refreshing attitude we need to be bringing to the media. And I just think um, it's it's surprising that he was allowed to be set loose on the media. And actually, this week was the first time in a long, long time that I've ever dared to watch Question Time because I got so... It made me physically sick to watch it in the end. It was just how how loaded the questions were, how how organised the audience were to be pro-Tory and anti-literally anybody else. Um, and it was much the same this week as well, you know, with um, it, the people who saw it will know about the lady who talked about trade unions being dinosaurs. Um, the whole thing was farcical. And, I, you know, I was furious and I wanted to scream at the telly and Mick Lynch just took it all in his stride and was like, OK, well, and he just laid everything out perfectly reasonably, perfectly understandably. You couldn't have argued against what he was saying. And I think that sort of approach is something that the British public do need to see and rarely get to see. And also... You know, seeing as I'm sitting in Paul's chair, I will tell you the thing that he always says when we talk about trade unions. A union isn't this sort of mythical thing, this organisation, you know, that, that, that dictates to people. A trade union literally is just people who work in a place. 
and the RMT have gone on strike, not because the RMT have told their members that they're going on strike, but actually the members have gone, right, we've had enough. We are going to go on strike collectively. And they've all done it together. And I think they're absolutely right to do so. So in that respect, yes, absolutely, this has been a success. Will it impact or affect any decisions that the Tories make? That remains to be seen. Um, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's just lovely to hear somebody telling the truth about what they feel and 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 uh, sort of answering the questions and 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 laying it on the line. And and my golly, don't our politicians need to stop just telling us this uh, superficial wishwash? Uh, and 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 expecting us to sit there and take it and believe it, um, uh, and which brings me to the Labour politicians. Do you think the Labour front benches who joined the pickets should apologise? I mean, as as a a devout trade unionist, and that is, you know, I'm very heavily involved in politics, and you know, I've been campaigning for the Labour Party for a long, long time. Um, I no, I. To, the Labour Party was founded within trade unionism. And, you know, I, there's people who would roll their eyes and tell me to not say that. But actually, no, we should be out on pickets. If if a government is taking away the rights of working people and making terms and conditions worse, and actually not just that in terms of the RMT, making ordinary people who get on transport, making their journeys less safe, then of course we should be absolutely fighting that. And I don't see the problem with being, I've been out on a couple of pickets this week, albeit I'm not on a front bench. I think that is a decision for individuals to make, but I am wholeheartedly behind the trade union movement and will always stand on solid, in solidarity with people on picket lines. Um, now what David Lammy says is he said the Labour Party will never support strikes, won't support strikes, because the Labour Party supports negotiation. Right, OK, so the problem with that is I didn't hear the full conversation, so I don't know if I, if, if I, what I'm going to say is in direct contrast to that, but what I would say is, yeah, every trade union is in... You know, all we want to do is negotiate. We want to sit down around a table, talk, try and find a solution. What people need to realise is, and what I think people don't get, is that strike action is actually the last resort when everything else is exhausted and we don't have another option. The only option we have is to withdraw our labour and that's all we've got. Um, and nobody takes that lightly. Nobody makes that decision easily. It is something that one, once you've exhausted the options, once you've had those conversations and nothing is working, that's when strike action happens. And there's a lot of things, there's a lot of boxes that need to be ticked and there is a mass movement behind that that need to agree that that is the next course of action. It is not just the boss of RMT or Unite or CWU or the barristers or anybody else who's out on strike, you know. It's not just them going, right, we're going to strike. It is the members who decide that and it is a lot of members who need to decide that and it is when they've reached a point where they feel they have got nothing else to offer, they've got nothing else that they can bring to the table and they're not being given anything that they've been asking for, that they at this point feel to be very reasonable because trade unions don't ask for things that they don't feel they deserve. Thank you very much. I mean, I agree and um, I've pointed out before that um, the Tories have no qualms 
about producing policies that appeal directly to their core membership, um, the Labour Party, for some reason, feels that what it needs to do is to go seeking a mythical centre ground and um, absolutely spit in the face of its core membership. Who are the workers? If the Labour Party does not support the way it workers, what use is the Labour Party? And you might want to answer that on, on the comments. Some lovely comments here. Um, Timothy Beaton is off. He, somehow he didn't expect um, a, a, a channel on socialist think tank to be talking left-wing ideas. He's, he's, he's cleared off. Um, uh, a lot of praise for Mick Lynch. He's the leader that Labour is lacking, um, sort of. Um, uh, Sarah Sultana said the same as I've just said, so she must be right. Um, and um, uh, yes, uh, Neil Terry agrees with you, for, um, Paul, uh, Laura. The majority of the public are aware of the very high thresholds for industrial action. Stuart, um, success or failure? Every time uh, you know a, a person, a worker, stands up for their rights, paying conditions, you know, that's the victory in itself, you know, and every chance that, you know, you get to communicate what's important to you and why you're doing it, that's a victory again. So I think it's been a, a huge success because this is not just national news because it's such a uncomfortable situation for the country to be in, but because so many people are telling quite personal stories about how, you know, their life has been affected by a very broken system. Um, I mean, um, I know I realise I'm being the, the, the ER in the party, but I mean, the government is pressing on with its plan to introduce agency workers to defeat any strike. Um, Network Rail is pressing on with a plan to lay off up to 1,800 workers immediately. I mean, is there... What's your response to the fact that the strike has gone ahead and the world is just pressing on to piss on the rail workers, uh, just as they always intended to do? I mean, what's your reaction to, 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 to that, that idea, Stuart? Well, if you don't fight, you always lose, don't you? So this, this is the fight. This is the battle. They, can, they could have accepted... You know, those members could have accepted those awful conditions, the loss of jobs, uh, you know, very life-changing uh, situations for many of them. They could have accepted that, and that wouldn't have been uh, the worst thing for the government, would it? They would have, they would have loved that. But the, hard, the, the really hard thing to do is actually fight against this and think about themselves, their families, their futures, our safety on the real network. And they've taken that on board, and it's a very difficult choice to do that, and then go out and you know pick it to make sure that, that the message gets out there but you know I, I think it's also important while we, we have figures like Mick Lynch uh, who is you know a superstar he, but he's not extraordinary this is the normal you know calling out the lies is you know run of the mill in the trade union movement this is standard practice all those members will call a spade a spade and they will stand up and fight it is just uh, the exemplar of their behaviour, of their high quality of the, you know, the type of people they are. So I think we need to, you know, communicate that broader. That you know, 
he's just a normal a normal chap, a normal fella. And the reason people are, are liking him is because you would like all those people standing on the picket line and you would get behind them when you hear their stories. I think it highlights the poor quality of MP that we're numbered with at the moment on both, in both parties. One final question for Jane before I go. Thank you, Stuart. Um, do you think this is the start of a summer of strikes? I mean, has this just kicked off a summer of discontent, do you think? The discontent was coming anyway. The CWU are balloting, aren't they? Barristers are on strike. There's a lot of strike action. I think the teachers' unions are also um, looking at strike action. None of them are doing that because the RMT have gone on strike. They haven't seen that before. That looks like a good idea. Across the board, this government's just failing on its economic policy and so many people are breaking that they're being pushed to the limit where they've got no choice but to do this in order to survive, try to get a living wage. Um, and notice that the climate, the barristers are out. Uh, how sympathetic are you to the barristers wanting a higher wage? I'm really, really sympathetic after I read up on it at the weekend. I saw um, a journalist, I think it might have been Catherine Bexie, speaking on Twitter, and I was really shocked to learn that often, um, certainly in the first years of their employment, they're working on less than minimum wage. So you might see a fee that they'll get paid £100 for going to a hearing, but they might need to do 10 to 12 hours preparation work ahead of that hearing if they want to do a decent job for the client. So when you work that out, that's less than minimum wage. They've got to pay their travel costs out of that. They've actually got to pay chambers rent off of that as well and clerk fees. And because of the um, big delays in the system with cases taking sometimes years to get to their end, it was already bad because of the cuts before the pandemic. Now it's much worse. They won't get paid until the end of that process anyway. So not only are they getting paid less than minimum wage and paying expenses in real time, they might wait a year or years to even get paid that less than minimum wage money. So I think they, the Bar um, Council for, um, did a survey and um, came to the conclusion that the average wage for in the first two years of employment in the last few years was less than £13,000 a year. Um, and it's very difficult to live on that amount of money in this country now. So I'm very sympathetic. Um, and we're just about to find out how important it is that we have a judicial system which is fit for purpose. And uh, sort of that'll happen now because in a little moment when Laura's uh, sort of pressed the button that I'm going to ask her to press in a, in a short while, uh, we're going to move on to um, our other story. Um, I just quietly don't, don't tell anybody, but I, am I doing all right? Telegraphing all these things to you, to, to Laura, I did it. <laughs> People just think it's all seamless. Um, next question. Roe versus Wade has been overturned. And what does the Supreme Court verdict mean? What's, the, what's, what's, what's going on? What's the meaning? Um, I've got a quote here for you, Laura. Um, a dramatic rollback of women's rights in one of the world's richest countries, which prides itself on its protection of individual liberties. Um, fair summary? 
what what do you think of Roe versus Wade being overturned? 100% fair summary. Um, it, it's uh, if you know the history of this one, it is not a surprise at all. It is devastating. It's heartbreaking for the people of America and actually the world because we've seen historically things that happen in America do tend to roll themselves out across the world. Um, for people who aren't sure, a really, really potted history because, like, you really, there's a lot to unpick here. But um, Roe versus Wade was a, a court case back in the 1970s. Um, a woman called Norma McCorvey um, fell pregnant in 1969 and didn't, at the time, I won't go into the reasons why, felt she couldn't have the baby. Um, so there was a court case launched and they called her Jane Roe. Wade was the um, Texas senator at the time who was in charge of upholding the laws um, and basically um, Norma McCorvey had argued that the, the laws were unconst unconstitutional, that meant she couldn't have an abortion um, but it was unconstitutional because of her, her privacy and, and many other things. Um, she they did end up eventually years later winning that case by which time she had already had the baby and given it up for adoption um but they did win and said yeah it was unconstitutional but however since then we've had sort of every decade at least a couple of big big marches big arguments against the right of abortion um so in the 1970s, there was a big march for life, which got a lot of attention, you know, people who were very anti-abortion. In 76, um, there was a ruling brought in that an American government couldn't spend money um, on any sort of abortion or help in that way unless it was as a result of uh, rape, incest or a threat to life. Um, in 1989... They introduced a husband notification requirement. So if you did want to have an abortion and you were married, you had to inform your husband. He had to give consent. There was, um, in that, in 1989, there were, there were many, many different um, sort of caveats to the rule. There were so many. It just seems like over the decades, there have been many things put in place, barriers to be put in place to women's um, right to choose. Um, and they've been trying to strip that away ever since... Um, Roe versus Wade um, so yeah they, I mean even recently the in Texas we've seen we've seen this has been coming for a, for a long time 2003 um, President Bush um, introduced um, a partial death abortion um, was the was was the only way to do it um, you weren't allowed to have an abortion past a certain age um, so, so what is the effect of the um, overturning of, uh, of the, 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 the verdict of the Supreme Court? What's it, what's it going to be, uh, the practical effect on women's lives? Well, so essentially, um, this has, has set us back. All of those arguments, all those marches, all those fights we've had, all the legislation we have had changed, I say we, I mean the American people, um, has now been reversed and uh, women... Their, their right to choose, their right to have an abortion when they feel they want to or need to, it has been taken away, essentially. It is up to somebody else, um, which is what they've been getting at for a long time, as evidenced by what I've just said. Um, and it has been coming for a long time, and it is really upsetting. Um, one thing I will say that, and honestly, like, I'm, you know, I'm not an 
orator on all of this. I don't know every single thing. But I was surprised today when I found out that actually in the UK, most women don't realise that abortion is actually not a right here either. Um, there's just a law that gives exemption from prosecution if you have an abortion. Um, so we're not a million miles off having this happen to us as well. Um, and it's just, you know, it just... <laughs> It's really upsetting because we're, we're going back decades again. We're, we're going backwards with rights. Um, me saying all this is not... I'm not people making making comments here. Uh, Ruth Davidson, it's an absolute fucking disgrace. Well, I agree with you, Ruth, and, and there you go. Um, but there's, there's other things. All it's going to do, says Liam Powell, is force people into backstreet dangerous abortions. Suicides will rise, more babies will be abandoned i've yeah. spent all week between anger and despair mm -hmm. on this i mean um mortality is expected to rise 20 percent amongst the population in general and 33 percent in the black population yeah so yeah absolutely and 100 percent will and that won't come as a shock to anybody who has any sense whatsoever we're going to force victims of rape we're going to force young very young girls we're going to force um people who have who are going babies that are not going to be able to survive outside of the womb to have these children to carry them through to birth the mental the mental health impacts of that are going to be massive and they will affect people for years and families for years to come and the the and I've seen this said so many times in so many different ways either whether it is in um, political debate or even in comedy shows but for me, it's the absolute truth. The people who who are fighting so hard for pro-life and to save these fetuses and to bring them in the world, their care for those babies stop the minute they're born because there are no decent childcare programmes. There are, There's no free childcare. There's no help for new mums, single mothers, po poverty wages... People just stop caring. So once the baby's born, we might have pro-life, but we don't have pro-living at all. Um, and they're just forgotten about. So it's just yet another way for men to control women's bodies. Um, I've been um, really impressed by these things which are coming on social media saying that if we're going to um, abolish the right to have an abortion, then what we need is a law which says that if you're the father of a, um, a, 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 a child, you need to support that child. Yes. Uh, and, and, and you need to pay for it. You need to acknowledge it. Um, sort of, um, is that Rosa or...? That's uh, Rosa with one of her toys, and I've got Penny here. I don't know where Paul is, but he's not looking after the dogs. <laughs> They're running about. <laughs> I'm going to come back to you, Laura. Stuart, I mean, one of the things is that, that people have been suggesting is that this has done an amazing damage to the social and political structure of the United States, um, a mockery of democracy. Um, uh, the Supreme Court has lost legitimacy, says Warren, Elizabeth Warren. Um, sort of, it's damaged Christianity in the Bible. I've never seen so many people coming out and sort of um, uh, attacking uh, Christianity and, and the, the Bible. Um, I mean, do you think that it, it, it's damaged America, this, or is, uh, or do you think this is um, something which the, the right would just pick up and run with and they don't see it as damage at all? 
the, the right wing generally uh, quite enjoy self-inflicted damage, whether it's you know with uh, international opinion about what they're doing, you know, law breaking, law changes, how they treat their people, and they they feel quite comfortable because they are generally as a, a political group and you know inward looking rather than than outward looking. They're you know obsessed with their, themselves more than they are with the people around them. So that that certainly, you know, lends itself to what's going on. Certainly, I know people in America must have lost so much faith in, in their justice system. If what is, you know, globally considered to be a, a fairly fundamental right, that's, you know, it's being taken away from you. And it's going back to a position where it mirrors states that we we don't think of as the people that we would want to, to be be friends with it, states where we you know where people have an aspiration to go to America don't they and live a wonderful life but in, in fact you know leaving leaving lots of these countries and going to America is a regression on your rights it's such a, a sad thing There's, it's not this no you know American dream anymore. It's actually, you know, the American nightmare, and certainly people in America must be feeling that right now. I mean, lots of them, certainly. I mean, these states and enacting laws which uh, uh, make abortion illegal at six weeks, one at conception. And in cases of rape and domestic abuse. And you just think, and, and it's 800 miles from New Orleans to the nearest abortion clinic, 800 miles. And um, and you can't offer, to, and they're not offering to take you, people are offering to take you there, but they didn't say to have an abortion because just to talk about it is illegal now. They're having to sort of say if you want to go camping. And what kind of a country is that? Um, horrific, yes, sort of, and finally, Jane, um, uh, I've got here that same-sex couples are worried. I've got one woman, Mary Miller, said to a Trump rally, um, that's it. it was a victory for white life. And it's all getting tied up with the great replacement theory that all these, I, I use the word inverted commas, as, as they would call them, all these foreigners, are replacing white people. I mean, sort of... Um, in the meantime, California is saying that they're going to put um, a thing to the contrary into their constitution of their state. Are we moving towards are we moving towards a civil war? I mean, are, sort of, are, are we sort of? And there's one or two people said the same thing. This is just the beginning. There's uh, dangers. Um, they're going to go further than this. It won't stop at reproductive rights, says Leanne Powell. I mean, are we are we going down a rabbit hole of real trouble here, Jane? I think um, I think the Su Supreme Court Justice, I think he wrote the opinion that started off this. I think also wrote a second um, concurring opinion about um, banning birth control, banning gay marriage, and banning sex outside of marriage. Um, so that's why the people are already talking about that. Um, and I think it, I can well imagine those things happening at this stage. So I think there probably will be civil unrest, but there could, this could also be 
the start of a movement to fix things properly in America because this is a country without any, you know, state without state funded, without an NHS. So um, that needs fixing without, like you say, any um, support for childcare. Um, and I, I was reading an article in the Jacobin and it just made me feel a little bit hopeful that actually this might kick off a really big movement to fix this situation properly, to bring in proper reproductive rights. But also, I think the sentence was the right to have children in a safe and healthy environment, as well as the right to not have children. Mm. And so I hope that's what will happen. But I have no doubt there will be some civil unrest in the meantime. I mean, the point is, Jane, isn't it, that, that it's what the point that, that Laura made earlier. The, the, um, somebody said they hate the term pro-life, so do I, that <laughs> anti-abortion. Um, sort of um, foul bigots would be another term I would uh, appreciate. But the thing is, is that, um, the, oh, I've lost my track, I'm getting so, I've just been so rude, I've just like trying to just say. Um, what, what was the last thing you said there, Jane? Um, oh, the right to have children in a safe and healthy environment, as well as the right to not have children. So I think there will be a movement for that, but some civil unrest in the meantime. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for that. I've got one last question for you, uh, Laura. Um, state sanctioned forced birth. That's what we're talking about. Um, is this the handmaid's tale coming <laughs> true? <laughs> oh my God, John, you took the words out of my mouth. Honestly, if you haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale, please do. It is shocking. And the thing I found more shocking is how not unbelievable it is. I kind of feel like, yeah, this this could happen. This really legitimately could happen. And the thing, and, and what people have been saying in the chat tonight is absolutely right. This you know, redu reduction in women's rights is a gateway to other things. It's not going to stop here. It is a power play. You know, we've got a capitalist patriarchy at play here. They do not want power taken away from them. And having power over women's bodies has been an easy win for centuries. And so we'll start here and we'll move on from that. And we will take over everything until none of us have any rights. I uh, know Sonia Soda in the Guardian, um, sort of uh, the danger of relying on judicial activism <laughs> to deliver and maintain social change. And uh, sort of the, the, the changing the mind, aren't they? It, it needs putting as a, as, as a right. Somebody pointed out it was, it was a privilege because they took it away. It shouldn't, it should be a right. Thank you so much, everybody. Last question. Um, we had the sign of two Tory defeats, one of them a walloping defeat in Tiverton to the, to the Lib Dems, I might point out, not to Labour. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, uh, read out some um, headlines um, uh, of, of various articles, and I'm going to ask you for your comments so we run out of time. I'm just going to go round and round and round. Stuart, I'll start with you. Jonathan Friedland, it is a verdict on a cruel and useless government that's running out of road. Accurate. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think certainly uh, voters have made their voices very heard, uh, certainly in one of those by-elections. Uh, you know, it will go down in the record books as uh, quite a defeat for the Tories. Um, thank you. Jane, Andrew Ronsley, Boris Johnson is a sorcerer 
who has run out of spells. Oh, I hope so. But the man seems like Teflon. He just doesn't care. He's got no shame, has he? Well, it says he's not going to change, doesn't it? OK, Laurie, yours. For Starmer, keeping Johnson in Downing Street is a gift. Oh, come on, John. Give me the easy ones, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> is it really? I don't know. Uh, keeping Boris Johnson in government is not a gift for anyone except possibly the billionaires who benefit from his tenure. I think the argument, though, is Laura that sort of is so awful that is an, an an easy target to score points off. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think the focus always needs to be on how bad this Tory government is, and I think you know criticising Keith Starmer, criticising the Labour Party, criticising the movement, all of that. Is, is a distraction from just how, how awful they are. Getting Boris Johnson out would be a gift for all of us. Thank you very much indeed. God bless you. Stuart, I'm glad you came back because it's your turn now. A harsh lesson for the Tories. You can't outrun tactical voting. Peter Kellner. I don't, I don't think tactical voting exists anymore in the way that people think that it did in the 2000s and what we have is a, a volatile electorate who are incredibly well informed because their technology allows it thank you very much indeed that's very interesting talk about talk to me about that a bit more i mean sort of because the, the the received wisdom of this this election is that tactical voting is the way to go as the next question will 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 you know, tactical voting used to be uh, when the Lib Dems put that little bit on the bit of their leaflet. Only, only the Lib Dems can win here. But now, because politics is so, you know, broadly broadcast to people over the internet, uh, you know, social media, there's so many ways to access it. The people can, you know, be zoning in on very specific items. And that's the one of the reasons I think that lots of you know smaller independent type parties have popped up who are able to uh, you know tune in on certain things because we have an electorate who are you know very well informed certainly more so than you know historically they they can uh, they will likely find somebody who will try and fit the, their their vote and need. Which is what I think happens when you see uh, by elections, like any electioneering is, you know, you, 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 there's a little bit of chasing after the vote, isn't there? But the more so yeah, uh, at a time now where everything is so hyper-focused, you could drum down into a, a community and present uh, a, a policy idea very focused on a small group of people. Uh, and that, you know, it, it is pulling away from traditional tactical voting and, and changing how we we see tactical voting now. I mean, uh, just a little bit further, Stuart, on this. I mean, my CLP has just passed a motion and uh, to send to um, uh, conference um, as a constitutional motion for conference, um, suggesting that 
the Labour Party in constituencies where the members feel they have no chance of winning, that they might be released not to run a candidate. Because running a can all running a Labour candidate will do will strip votes away from the party that might have a chance to beat the, the Tories. So what you're what you're saying is that that, that no longer really applies as, as, as an issue. I, I don't believe that it, it does apply. I think that because people, you know, they, they have that connection, people will, you know, likely have a tradition of, of voting. And if they if they want somebody out, they they will you know likely place their vote with uh, their preferred party or an alternative. But because there's so many more alternatives now, that's kind of dissolved away a bit. I honestly, from my perspective, is that the the Labour Party needs to run a candidate in every seat. I don't see there being a progressive alliance that you know that that fits our electoral system at the moment. And any show that we would make concessions uh, to get into power against a government like Boris Johnson's, which is, you know, disaster to disaster, scandal to scandal, one of the worst governments we've ever seen, is a, a, an admission that you don't think that your offer is of value to get rid of that, you know, government that's in sitting. The, the offer has to be really powerful. It has to, you know, hone in on what people want. It has to offer people opportunity in the future that they need. It has to be an alternative to what's in. And when you make these smaller concessions, you're not actually allowing people uh, tactical voting. You're, you're weakening uh, their actual interest in going out and voting in the first place. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um... And I'm picking up what Sue's just been talking about, and Leanne as well, I think. Um, uh, sort of, Jane, John Harris, the Tories are teetering, but only a progressive alliance can deal the final blow. What's all, we've heard Stuart's thoughts on a progressive alliance. What are your thoughts on a progressive alliance? So I found the results of these both by-elections actually quite terrifying when you look into them because um, the results were good. But when you look at what's happened um, in 2017 and 2019 in Wakefield, there was 66 and 64 percent turnout. That's gone right down to 39 percent in this by-election. So, it's, you know, the Tory votes plummeted and that's great. There were 15 candidates on that ballot right across the political spectrum. There were independents. There was the Northern Independence Party. Um, there was the BNP. There was a whole spectrum. And, um, you know, I'm glad people didn't go out and vote for the BNP. I think they got 311 votes, which is scary enough. Um, but what really scares me is that people just don't seem to be voting at all. In Tiverton as well, the vote shares, the turnout's gone down in those two previous elections from 72% to 52%. That's a lot of people who just think there's no point. I don't know what impact voter ID has had on that. I shouldn't for it's all of it. Um, that won't have helped. But the, this voter apathy in the face of, of a government who's making decision, decisions which are killing people, you know, willfully causing death, poverty, misery to people's lives, I find that very frightening indeed. So I'm not really sure what a progressive alliance can do to, because if people aren't going out and voting for the Northern Independence Party or these other smaller parties who are offering hope and they're not voting for Labour, there's a there's another problem we need to get to the root of we need to find out how to engage with people who just have given up on politics 
Um, I think Jacqueline Hemming is agreeing, agreeing with what you think. Not sure I'd call UK Labour and the Lib Dems progressive. Um, uh, sort of, so basically you stand with Stuart that what matters is not the alliance, what matters is the um, manifesto. Yes, we need to give people hope, real proper hope. Laura? Yeah, I just, I kind of, I do understand what everybody's saying and I've I've sort of been teetering on the edge of, of despair in terms of politics at the minute. But then when I stop and think about it, um, La the Labour Party have been the only, the only real opposition for a long time and I know a lot of people think that that is not the case anymore. But then I think about the people I know who are in the Labour Party and who are speaking, like you know, like we said earlier on, like the RMT, like the Mick Lynch's of the world, who are just talking honest truth. And you've got people like Stuart and you've got people like Paul and you've got people like Samantha Townsend. If we can get people like that elected into positions and those are the people who are speaking on behalf of us, then surely that will present a better option for us. Um, because the Labour Party okay, is a machine. Uh, I'm going to now give you your final um, thing. Um, Keir Starmer. Labour has now claimed the centre ground <laughs> and has shown that it can win. Well, I think... Got three minutes, Laura. Three minutes, OK. Second I think Labour can win. I think Labour have got some of the best MPs, um, local MPs, who who really do care. They've got some of the most amazing activists that I've ever met. And, you know, like, this show wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the people I met in Sedgefield, who were all Labour Party through and through and were absolutely fantastic. Those roots are still there. They haven't gone anywhere. They're still there because we're all still fighting. Um, the centre ground, I, I hate that terminology, I hate the centre and the left and the right, it, it's really starting to bother me because I think the centre ground hasn't been the centre ground since Tony Blair, I think Tony Blair moved the centre ground so far right that the centre ground now is not what it resembles, we've never moved, socialists have never moved, we're exactly where we've always been, we just are now considered radical left but we're not. And actually, the terminology and the media portraying us for, as they do, as we've seen many times, you know, I've I've been called in the media, um, in national media as well, you know, a momentum thug, even though I wasn't a member of momentum at the time. And there's just that narrative. But actually, the people are what matter. The members, the people who are out on the street, the people who are door knocking, the people who just give their blood, sweat and tears regardless are the people that matter and I know so many of those people here in my region who just are trying their best just to make things better because honestly can things really get on touch wood can things really get much worse under this Tory government and those people are or have been part of the Labour movement and so yes we can win but I, I, I sort of try and get away from this whole centre ground terminology mm. if I can. On that note of hope, well <laughs> done, Laura. Thank you so very much, because I've just been in despair this week. Um, uh, some lovely comments. Uh, Leanne Powell, socialist think tank, is the only reason she stood in the Labour Party. Um, uh, Neil Terry, Labour are only trading on anger against Tories at the moment. They need to offer something and better. I think we all agree on, on that. That's been the point that's made. 
Um, me and Mantri, people like yourselves play a big part. She's still in the, the reason she's still in the party. Um, Jacqueline Hemmings agrees about good MPs. Um, uh, Jake Ratcliffe can't cope with the thought of being in a progressive alliance with the Lib Dems when they're in coalition with the Tories and, and sort of, I think that would be my problem with it, Jake. Um, and um, I love John Gray. None of the main parties have acquitted themselves at all while we were abandoned. And I think that's the nub of it all, John. And we look for somebody to stand up and say, these are policies which will change Britain for the better. And then there'll be huge numbers of people who feel they can get behind those policies and that look that's what we want. Um, uh, I can't pass over to Paul. Paul, I need to, <laughs> to say goodbye. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say goodbye now. God bless you. Thank you for listening. It's so important to us that you, 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 you come and support us. And it's so um, uh, welcome. And thank you so very much indeed. Uh, and thank you to my wonderful team who have been spectacular tonight again. Stuart, God bless you, mate. <laughs> Jane, God bless you. Thank you for having me. And Laura, pressing the buttons as well as sharing your ideas. Thank you. Because <laughs> um, support socialist think tanks in loads and loads of ways, not least with money. Um, uh, there's stuff we can buy. Um, this is on a whole load of platforms. It will be available as a, um, a podcast um, in, in, in the days to come. And, oh, golly, please come back next week and uh, we'll have another great show with wonderful ideas. And uh, thank you. We'll keep the red flag flying here.